Welcome to Preston Minster. Find your home, find your purpose, transform your city. Let's jump into this week's talk. We now know what the term of transition's all about, from smart to casual, right? <laughs> oh, brilliant. It is uh, it's a joy, as always, uh, to be with you, to be opening up God's Word together. And uh, it is a big day. It's a big day for us, because we're starting a new series, uh, The Secret to Joy, looking at the letter of Philippians. But friends, I need to tell you, it's not just a big day for us here it is a big day for the Roberts household, okay? And I'm telling you, when I say big, I mean big. Because my family, my children have been nagging, no, not nagging, what's the nice phrase? Uh, They've been politely encouraging a certain change in our family's life for a number of months or even years. And eventually, we've given in. I mean, we we have come to the same conclusion. uh, And... They keep telling me, they're like, Dad, the secret to family joyfulness is this. All you need to do is get this thing. And friends, this afternoon, this very afternoon, we are getting a puppy. I know. I don't think that deserves a clap. I I feel like... We're actually getting a puppy. And you know when like the idyllic dream sounds fantastic and then I'm like, after this, I'm literally going to be driving somewhere, picking up a dog and bringing it home. Like the reality is beginning to set in. Now, myself and Emma, we're a bit older. We're a bit, you know, we we, we know that the puppy's going to be great, but we know it's not the actual secret to family fulfillment and joy. The kids, however, think this is just going to be absolutely idyllic and perfect from day one. But we know there's a secret to joy is a little bit bigger than that. And I guess that leads us to the question, really, if we're going to explore over the next few weeks, what is the secret to unlock joy? Then we need to know what exactly is a biblical understanding of joy. Because, I don't know about you, but it feels like we're always sort of grasping, thinking, oh, well, if I do this, or if I do that, that'll be the key that unlocks this this deep satisfaction. And the culture around us has always been like, oh, well, if we do this, or if we do that, that'll be the thing that unlocks, and you'll suddenly feel content and happy. Whether it's the latest fad, whether it's like mindfulness, or whether it's, or if I, if I just get a fitness regime, then that'll sort me out and I'll feel joy. Or maybe if I get that, that hobby, or if I follow what that YouTube guru says, that'll be the key that'll unlock the secret to true joy. Maybe if I follow those lifestyle hacks that I read on Instagram or whatever. Do you ever find yourself just following that, thinking, oh, if I just, just do that, I know I do. And some of those things are really, really great. Some of those things are really helpful. But the sort of, the deceit or the the bit that we fall for is putting our true hope that that will be the thing that brings us joy. So what is a biblical definition of joy? What is it that we're talking about? If we're going to spend the next few weeks exploring, like, how do we 
get this joy? What exactly are we talking about? Well, the guy called Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this. Biblical joy comes from the Lord. Well, that's an interesting start because he's saying, well, actually, biblical joy is from the Lord, whereas so often in our world, we make it about us. We're like, well, if I do this, if I grab that, then I, I can achieve joy. But a biblical joy comes from the Lord. And then he says this, it is a perpetual gladness of heart that comes from knowing, experiencing, and trusting Jesus. A perpetual gladness of heart that comes from knowing, experiencing, and trusting in Jesus. So that's interesting because what it isn't then, joy, what it isn't is purely an emotion or a feeling or a reaction to a set of circumstances. And often when we use the word joy, that's what we think of, don't we? We think about a really happy occasion where we're, we're laughing or something's happened and we think, oh, I'm, I'm joyous. But biblical joy is a much deeper thing that comes from knowing, experiencing, and trusting in Jesus. It's an ongoing state that can be achieved despite whatever circumstances. Interesting. So I want us to do two things this morning. The first thing I want to do is I want to lay a bit of a foundation for the series. So I'm going to give you a bit of an overview of Philippians and we're going to really set a bit of a foundation that will see us through uh, this whole series. And then second thing I'm going to do is we're, we're going to find a key, like one key that's going to unlock a little bit of the secret to joy. And I won't spoil it now, but I'll keep on listening. So let's read our passage for this morning. But before, that, before we do that, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the truth, for the solid foundation that you have revealed to us in your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would simply open our hearts to what you might want to say to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here and ask you to speak. Amen. Amen. So, this is Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Feel free to look at it in your Bibles or your phones, and it will also come on the screens. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So, the letter to the Philippians. What do we need to know? Well, firstly, who's Paul? This letter is from Paul. We know that from the first word of this letter. It's from Paul. Paul uh, is a guy who uh, was very zealous 
in the Jewish faith. So much so that when the church started to emerge, when the message of Jesus started to emerge, he wanted to persecute the church. And he had his life utterly turned around, transformed by an encounter with Jesus. And then he spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel and planting churches. So that's, that's who Paul is. And he's writing a letter to the church in Philippi, it says. So the, to, he's writing to the church in uh, Philippi. And we know that Paul went to visit Philippi. We can read it in Acts 16. We read about Paul. He went to this place called Philippi and he met this woman called Lydia. And Lydia was incredibly receptive to the gospel message, the good news that he was telling. And from there, a church was birthed in Philippi. And so we're reading this letter that he has sent to them years later to encourage them. We also know that he is writing this letter from prison. So he has been arrested for sharing the good news about Jesus. And he's writing it from his prison cell to encourage the church that he established all those years ago. Uh, as a slight aside, I, uh, I was in prison this week. You didn't see that one coming, did you? Uh, I went to visit Alicia, who is uh, in our congregation, a part of our church, and she's the prison chaplain. And I went to uh, visit her. And uh, my favorite part of, of the trip was not meeting the inmates. That was great. Uh, I got to see loads of the workshops where they're trained up, uh, given skills before they're, they're released. That was really, really interesting. But my favorite part was when Alicia was taking me uh, across the courtyards to the other bit, and uh, a prison officer shouted over to Alicia, and she said, uh, uh, where are you taking him? I just need to know. And it slowly dawned on me, she thought I was an inmate. And, um, and I was like, but I, I, I ooze the joy of the Lord. How can you not tell? And uh, Alicia kind of humbly goes, uh, yeah, it's not actually an inmate, it's my vicar. So uh, that was an interesting conversation that followed uh, with the prison officer. But it was great being there. And it gave me an insight to the fact that Paul was writing from uh, a prison. So in this letter, there are 15 explicit references to joy. There's 15 explicit references to joy. It's like, it's a thread that goes all the way through the letter. And I, I love it because it's, it's like, a, it's a real letter. This is what we want to grasp. We're, we're reading a real letter to real people, to a real place, at a real point in history. And it's, it's scripture, so it's the authority in the word of God, but it's also rooted in reality. So what is Paul doing in this letter. Well, there's three things that he is wanting to do. Firstly, he is saying to the church, guys, there's gonna be suffering. In this letter, he unpacks it, we'll see it in future weeks, that there's gonna be attacks on the church and there is gonna be suffering. At the end of chapter one, uh, it says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. So there's a whole message around, guys, the church in Philippi, guys, you need to know there's gonna be suffering. 
The second thing that he's wanting to address in this letter is he's saying that there's a, there's a rival version of the gospel that's going around. I've heard about it. And Paul desperately wants to protect the truth, the unmovable truth of the gospel message that he preached to them. So he's wanting to, to say, watch out, because what, some of the things that are being said, that isn't the true gospel. Let me uh, read to you again at the end of, at the beginning of chapter three. He's quite pointed. Listen to these words. He says, watch out for those dogs. Interesting. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Powerful language. He's, he's passionately wanting to protect the truth of the gospel. Because what was happening was that uh, people from the, from the Jewish uh, faith, he was one of those people who got to know Jesus after being a Jew, uh, that what the, it was being drawn back saying, yeah, 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 accept Jesus, that's fine, but maybe we should keep going with our religious practices. Maybe we should keep doing some of the stuff that puts us right before God. And the mutilators of the flesh was all about the practice of circumcision. Because they were saying, actually, grace isn't enough. You actually need to carry on with some of those practices. And Paul was really, really clear. No, it is all about grace. Jesus did it all on the cross for you. Now, in some ways, it can feel like, oh, well, those things aren't inherently bad. So why are we, why are we making such a fuss about it? But Paul's like, no, as soon as we stray from the fundamental truth, we're going to end up in dangerous territory. So that's the second thing he's doing in the letter. And the third thing that he's doing in chapter 4 is um, he's addressing relational tensions within the church. Um, he actually names the, these two women that there's, there's real tension between. I can't pronounce their names. I tried, I practiced, so I'm just not going to try. But there were these two women, and th there was tension. Two godly women, but there was tension between them. And different people were, were building up on the tension. And Paul wanted to address that and bring it back into order and say, we don't need to focus on those things. So, in this letter, what we know Paul was in prison when he wrote it. Not a great set of circumstances to be writing a letter. He wanted to address some pretty big stuff to the church. He wanted to correct some things. He wanted to kind of bring some big stuff to it. But in the midst of that, his message was a message of joy. That's what we need to realize the message and the message of joy wasn't because things were all hunky-dory and fantastic. Because they weren't. In his life and in the life of the church, there was stuff they needed dealing with. But still, Paul's message that is weaved all the way through this letter is one of joy. Which shows us that this, this joy that he's talking about, it isn't circumstantial. It's something different. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to our passage. We've laid the foundation. Hopefully, uh, if you, I'd encourage you over the next few weeks, read, read the letter as a whole, like in one sitting. I, I, if you're like me, you might want to listen to it and have the Bible open in front of you um, and let it wash over you. I'd really encourage you uh, to do that. We've laid a foundation. 
But let's have a look at how he begins this message, begins this message. It's all about how you can experience joy. So go back to verse three. It says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Now I'm gonna be honest with you. If I was writing this letter and I was stuck in prison and I was writing a letter to a church that I'd established and I'd heard all this stuff that was going wrong, I don't think my opening line would be, I just thank my God every time I think of you. I think I'd be frustrated. I'd be irritated. I'd be annoyed about the situation. I might feel disheartened. And yet Paul begins with thanksgiving. He practices it and he, and he does it regularly. He practices thanksgiving, regularly and intentionally. And I think thanksgiving is the key that is unlocking the secret to joy. So, why is thanksgiving <clears throat> so important? Why is it so important? Well, I think one of the things it does is give perspective. Gives perspective. So, um, I, at the moment, I've got an injury, guys. Okay, I want, I want a bit more like, you know, empathy. Well done, Sam. Yeah, yeah. I've got an injury at the moment. What is it? I hear you cry. Um, I'm so sorry for you, Tim. So, I've got an injured left elbow. Still nothing. Okay, I'm just going to have to go... <laughs> So I've got an injured left elbow, and I think what I've got is a thing called tennis elbow, which is ironic because I've not played tennis. But apparently, tennis elbow is a thing that you, you get if you do a repetitive strain. If there are any physios in the room, come and say hello at the end because uh, I need some free physio. Um, and so I've got this injury on my elbow, and what it means is every time I lift something, every time I sort of twist something, even sometimes when I'm like changing gear, I get this pain. And do you know what I do? I focus all my attention onto this pain. And do you know how, how I got it? What I think happened, and this better get a reaction. Now, what I think happened, it was from leading worship. <laughs> right? Do you remember I led worship for a, like a number of weeks in a row? And you know that I'm a little bit zealous. I get a little bit over keen. I'm like dancing around and getting a bit excited. And you guys are like, just chill out, Tim. Um, and so I think what happened was from doing it so regularly and with a, probably a poor guitaring technique, but we won't, we won't dwell on that, I think I've strained it. And what I do is focus on the injury. It takes all my attention in that moment. And I go, Lord... You do realize it literally happened because I was worshiping you? Like, I need a lot. Where's the healing? Where's it coming? And I put all my attention on that. What if I changed my perspective? What if I said, Lord, I thank you for my ankles. I thank you for my knees. I thank you for my other elbow. Thank you for my wrists and my shoulders and the fact that I can walk and the fact that I can play sport. But what do I do? I focus on the pain. I focus on my elbow. I focus on the thing that's wrong. And I think practicing thanksgiving 
is the thing that unlocks the, this deep joy that we can have. There's, um, there's an amazing woman in our church. She's called Adele. And um, I had a passing conversation with Adele recently, a few weeks ago. And Adele uh, is going through some, uh, some really difficult stuff physically, affecting how she lives her life. And we just had this passing conversation and she just oozed this sense of like, it's okay, I'm accepting the way I am and, I, and, I'm, and I'm living, I'm continuing to live. And I was like, I just came away from that conversation. I was like, wow. And do you know what she does in this church? She runs a group called called to pray. And each week she gathers with her husband Steve, she gathers a group of people and they pray for the life of the church. She's not focusing on the elbow. She's focusing on, the, on thanks. Now, one thing that's really important, don't hear me wrong, and this is really important. There is room to bring our pain to the Lord. In the scriptures, it's called lament. And we are encouraged to bring our frustration and our pain and our grief to the Lord. That is a good thing to do. But alongside that, we need to practice thanksgiving. The Lord wants it all. And as we practice thanksgiving, our perspective changes. I hope I can be a bit more like Adele. I know that you in your life today are facing difficulty. I know that because that's human nature. And on top of that, you're part of the church. And Paul says, you know what? There's gonna be suffering. That's what he's saying to us. There's gonna be suffering if we're following the gospel. I don't know what uh, you're facing specifically. Maybe there's something at work. Maybe there's a colleague that is really making your life difficult. Maybe there's a, there's a boss who's making your life difficult. Maybe you've got some family stuff going on. Maybe extended family stuff that's been rumbling on for years or maybe things that's a bit more of in your immediate relationships. It's really difficult, it's tough. Maybe you are, have a, a physical health problem and it's taking your, your focus, you're, you're bringing your mind to it. Maybe you've got a mental health problem that you're, you're dealing with. Maybe it's a bit more subtle. Maybe it's, there's some unfulfilled hopes or unfulfilled dreams and it leaves a kind of a nagging longing that feels difficult and painful. Maybe there's friendships or relationships that are struggling. Here's what the scripture is saying to us. Hear what Jesus is saying to us. You can know joy in the midst of that pain. Whatever it is, my friends, the truth is you can know joy in the midst of it. Not afterwards, not when it's all gone away, not when everything is perfect again. You can know joy in the midst of it. Paul was in prison. Paul was addressing some big stuff in the church and his message was, you can know joy in the midst of it. So what can we, what can we do? 
There's a guy called uh, Tim Keller. He, he recently passed away, actually, literally about a month ago from, uh, from cancer after a long battle with cancer. And uh, he's an amazing, he was an amazing church leader, uh, a really like deep thinker, great, great teacher. And uh, he really ran the race for many, many years, you know, really, really solid. And listen to what he said uh, about this stuff. He said, it's one thing to be grateful It's another to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. Isn't that interesting? It's one thing to be grateful, but it's another to give thanks. Gratitude is what you feel, but thanksgiving is what you do. I think one of the best things that we can do to unlock this sense of joy that Jesus says is possible for us is to practice thanksgiving. And I think there's two two little ways that we could go about it, two sort of practical bits of advice really on how to go about it. I think the first thing is when we notice ourselves feeling thankful for something, let's name it. If you notice it, name it. So if if you're thinking, oh, that's a beautiful scenery, that you're on a walk or something, name it. Say, Lord, I thank you that I get to see this thing of beauty. Or if you're having a really dirty burger, right, and you're like, oh, this feels so good. You can thank the Lord for the taste and then repent for what it's doing to the temple of your body <laughs> afterwards. But we can, we can thank the Lord for these things. So if you notice something that you want to give thanks for, let's name it. And for myself and Emma, we've we started kind of doing this a bit more. Um, we kind of call it like having an attitude of gratitude. And so we're naming like smaller and smaller things that we're thankful for, but we're noticing more and more. So I want to encourage you, what happens is as you start doing it, you start to feel it more. Does that make sense? So if you notice it, name it to a friend, to your spouse, to your kids, or whoever, and name it to the Lord. And the other thing, and I think this is what Paul had, the other thing is make it a regular practice. So in your prayer life, if you pray, I'd encourage you to try and pray each day, set aside a bit of time where you pray each day. And often our prayer life really veers straight into, Lord, I've got this problem, we need to do this, we need to sort this out, please can you help me? And that's good, that's part of it. But what if our practice was to practice thanksgiving? Each time we start there. Do you know what I think happens? When we start with thanksgiving, when we get to the stuff that we want to pray for, God's already began to change our perspective on it, which is amazing. So I want to encourage you, practice thanksgiving. Make it a choice. Make it a a thing that you do. Because then it's something that you do regardless of how you feel. Because we have good days. It's easy. We have bad days. We have really bad days. But if it's something that we do, we've turned it into a practice. And I think that is what Paul did, didn't he? He said, I thank my God every time I remember you. That is a practice. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. That's a choice that Paul is making. You see, I think we've got some choices. 
I think what we can do is we can focus on the stuff that is hard. We can let it take all of our attention. And it's so easy, just like my elbow. Just like that, you can take all our attention. Or we can come against it in the opposite spirit. And we can say, do you know what? I'm going to start with thanksgiving. I'm going to practice it. So friends, why don't, we, why don't we do a bit of that, even right now? Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media. See you next week.